Thank you, Kurt. Appreciate that. Good morning. Okay, it's good. So uh, earlier in the service, we had our offering, um, and then I think a, a strange man came with our offering up the aisle and up to the, the nativity scene up here. That, I promise that's Steve Adams, okay? So Steve um, did a fundraiser, and they, um, you know, cut his hair and his beard, and Steve now looks like Eddie Vedder. So um, <laughs> it's good. Uh, so it is good to gather once again here um, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, uh, a season of preparation, a season of um, anticipation, a season of longing. And uh, in this season, our church family, we have had this season of, or this theme of the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. In week one, we had a word or prophecy from uh, Jeremiah, and um, we wrestled with the idea of what, um, what does it mean to live between what is and what will be. Um, and part of uh, the Lord's righteousness is, is the fact that he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. We also had an invitation to see the world, see our lives through, through Advent eyes. In week number two, uh, we read together Zechariah's song. This would be the father of John the Baptist. And um, understanding that preparing for the arrival of the Christ child, uh, it's an invitation to repentance, an invitation to repentance. And that the Lord's righteousness leads us to the, to the or in the path of peace. And then last week, we considered the question um, from deep within our own souls, uh, a question that was brought to John the Baptist in the wilderness by uh, groups of people. What should we do then? What should we do then? And we asked this question, what's the simple, practical work of justice that God is inviting me to? Um, as we wait for Christ to be born anew uh, in our lives and in the world around us. <clears throat> so this week, we have a familiar Luke text. It's uh, Mary's song, the Magnificat. And, um, and also we have this interaction between Elizabeth and Mary. And so there's kind of two things going on here. So uh, wh which part should I you know, have the sermon about? Well, the answer is both, Right. So I don't know what time the Bears play today. So, um, so which one? Uh, let's start with Mary's song. It's a song of blessing. It's a song of faithfulness. It's a song of promise. It's a song of joy. It's a song of naming what is. It's a song of naming what will be. But this morning, I invite you to consider, is this song and also a song, also a song of resistance? A song of resistance. What? Resistance? You, okay. So I want to give some examples from art and from history uh, to kind of lead the way. So let's start with the, the book, the musical Les Mis. Familiar Les Mis fans? Anyone out there? Yeah? A few of you. Okay. That's good. Um, a novel uh, loosely based on the French Revolution, um, although the story takes place 50 years later, written by Victor Hugo in 1862. The song... Do you hear the people sing? Do you hear the people sing? A song of protest. Um, another song um, in which it speaks about injustice in the world. So let's, let's just roll this uh, brief clip here. It should have audio too. I 
it should have. Are they unmuted? If you know the song, we could all sing together. when you hear that? What, I mean, do you notice anything in your body? Do you notice anything in your heart, in your mind? Is there, there's an energy, isn't there? When people sing, there's an energy. And, and so towards the end of the novel, Victor Hugo explains the work, its overarching structure, and it said, he says this of, of this uh, Les Mis. The book which the reader has before him at this moment um, is, from one end to the other in its entirety and details, a progression from evil to good, from injustice to justice, from falsehood to truth, from, day, from night to day, from appetite to conscience, to, uh, or from corruption to life, from hell to heaven, from nothingness to God. This song, We Will Not Be Slaves Again, this song is a song of resistance. Now, as the story goes, the next scene, it's not all that peaceful. It's not a peaceful resistance. So there might be a little difference there. Okay? Song number two. Uh, let's just go ahead and play song number two. I love the Lord because he came to my rescue. 
make a way. You make a way. Yes, you make a way. You make a way. You make a way. Oh, yes, you make a way. You make a way. You make a way. I know. Yes, you make a way. Open up doors. I love. Good. Okay. It's an old Negro spiritual sung by the slaves pre-Civil War in the South. Sung for reasons of praising the Lord while also protesting their masters uh, who would not allow them to even worship with them uh, for Sunday morning worship. So there was darkness, there was oppression all around the slaves in the South. So this song, among many other spirituals, a song of resistance. Song number three. I woke up this morning with my man who said I would be alone. I woke up this morning with my man who said I would be alone. I woke up this morning with my man. Woke up this morning, released in 1964, civil rights era, and a culture and a time of history when the cause of justice, the civil rights movement, it was bleak. It was bleak. There was darkness. There was oppression all around people of color in this era. In this era. Woke up this morning with my mind set on freedom. <clears throat> this song is a song of resistance. Uh, there's a fourth song um, here in, from 1989 in Germany. I don't speak German, and I'll try. We're Zind das Volk. We are the people. We are the people. That was the chant that you heard. So this, among many other songs, sung in peaceful protest, reminded the leaders of the German Democratic Republic, the GDR, that it used to be ruled by the people, but now corruption, now people have taken over power in East Germany. This song was sung for months in months preceding the fall of the Berlin Wall. Every Monday night, starting from St. Nikolai Church, a small, group of num a, a small group started, just a handful, 
And then over the, every Monday, it continued to grow to over 300,000 people in peaceful protest. The song, among many others, songs of hope, songs of justice, songs of resistance. So there's just something about singing, isn't there? Singing can do all sorts of things. Communicate ideas and thoughts, as well as emotions found deep within. Songs have an energy. Songs have power that mere spoken words don't possess. So songs can possess power to remember. It can bring, there's a power in unity, okay? And there's also power for resistance. I think today, Mary's song, just invite you to consider this is a song of resistance as well. So there's a piece of art here, uh, Lauren Wright Pittman. We're just going to reflect on this for a moment or two. There's, a, there's much to notice here. I've been looking at this. This is the first time I saw the, the, the earring of Mary. Peace, dove. Um, so this Mary song, this Magnificat, a song of resistance, you know, this song doesn't come to us in a historical vacuum. Everything happens in a time and a place and a context and a culture, a reality that surrounds the events. So Mary and Elizabeth knew of the darkness, knew this darkness in their reality all too well. Elizabeth and Mary knew what life was like under Roman occupation and oppression. All sorts of tension, religious, political, socioeconomic, heavy taxation. Elizabeth and Mary experienced what it was like to be a woman at this time in history. Two women, one old, unable to bear children, one young, yet to be married, yet both pregnant. This, this scene, it's where the messenger meets the message. Mary is now an unmarried pregnant woman. She might expect social judgment, shame, exclusion from her own people. But by greeting Mary with honor, Elizabeth begins to maybe overturn some of the social expectations. Elizabeth knows from her own experience of being shamed and excluded in a culture um, where women's primary purpose in life was to bring forth children. So as an elderly infertile wife, most likely she endured a lifetime of tr being treated as a failure or even being treated as someone who has cursed. So Elizabeth's response to her miraculous pregnancy emphasizes God's grace. God's grace has reversed the social status. Luke 1.25 says this. This is Elizabeth speaking. This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace. 
took away the disgrace that I have endured among who? Among my people. At long last in her old age, um, she, she, has an, um, she is an honorable married woman, pregnant with her husband's son. Times have changed, thankfully, but this was the culture. And Elizabeth and Mary were called to bear sons through whom God's promise of long ago would be fulfilled. So the spotlight now shines on Elizabeth and Mary, two lowly, shamed women through whom God has chosen to bring transformation to the world in a new way. This unborn child in Elizabeth's womb leaps, prompted by the Spirit. Elizabeth takes on the role of prophet by speaking a prophetic word. When she expressed, she says what Mary has yet to share with her. It's not even visible to the eye yet. Mary is with child, and Elizabeth knows deep within her being, this is Mary, the mother of my Lord. She hasn't been told this yet. The mother of my Lord. As we consider place as well, at this time, verse 39, at this time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in where? The hill country of Judea. This visitation tucked away in this hill country, far away, a great distance from any courts of power or influence. So again, Elizabeth and Mary knew what life was like under Roman occupation and Roman oppression, and they knew what life was like as a woman. So these two women, faced with the bleakness of their situation, it would have been easy to despair. It would have been easy to give up hope. But they didn't despair or give up hope. Instead, Mary sang. Mary sang. What did she sing about? I think kind of in a nutshell, she, she sung about her confidence in the Lord. Confidence in the Lord. About her deep knowing of what the Lord, uh, of the Lord's promise to deliver, the Lord's plan of salvation. Going back to some of our songs, the Lord will make a way. Confidence, the Lord will make a way. Woke up this morning with my mind set on freedom. Confidence that the Lord will make a way. That God would do something in their unjust world. Lift up those who are oppressed. If you find your back up against the wall and evil pressing in on all sides, a place of unexpected power, unexpected strength can be found in song. This reminds me of Paul and Silas when they were in jail. Acts 16. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas Silas were praying and what? Singing. Singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were, uh, were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake at the found, um, that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. A bit further in the story, 
the prisoners and, other, and the other guards were asking, what must I do to be saved? Singing, power, resistance. So they sang. It's a form of resistance, a peaceful protest. So we go to Mary's song, and specifically verses 51 through 53. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has, he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good, good things, but has, but has sent the rich away empty. Do you see resistance? This song affirms the sovereignty of God, God's saving actions. It really can serve as an anthem for Advent, okay? For in this song, it's a prediction of what God is doing and will do because of what he's done in the past. Say it again. For this is a prediction of what God is doing and will do based on what God has done in the past. All right? One commentator says it this way. To be sure, to speak of what God has done is to announce what God will, will do. The pattern is a familiar one found in Scripture. Mary is the one who sings because she is confident that God will establish a kingdom of justice and peace, that this future vision of the kingdom is described in the past tense. Do you notice that in the song? Has, he has, he has done this, he has done this. So confident in the future that she speaks it as if it has happened and indeed has been happening, okay? The other Advent songs are a future hope. This song is about what God has done. It's confidence. So this is a song of resistance, predicts the kind of ministry Jesus will have as well as the coming kingdom, but is linked to what God has done in the past. Jesus doesn't show up as plan B. Jesus is connected to what God has been doing all along. So another thought to leave you or to, to bring forward today is um, as it relates to the visitation, this interaction between Elizabeth and Mary. In verse 45, it says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will would fulfill his promises to her. So this is great. So one, I mean, I don't know about you, but one might wonder, Elizabeth, is Elizabeth throwing her husband under the bus? <laughs> Right? Why do I say that? Is she contrasting Mary's response to the angel to Zechariah's response to the angel? They're a bit different. Mary's response was to trust in God's power and God's promise. Now, what did Zechariah do? Well, while talking to the angel about this child that Elizabeth in her old age was about to, to have, he responded with skeptical questioning. He was seeking proof from the angel. Now, yes, Mary did ask a clarifying question, which I think we can understand. One who is a virgin normally does not conceive a child. But after that, Mary gave her willing consent. She gave a willing consent. She said, yes, let it be so. Zechariah, the male religious professional, doubted God. But Mary, a peasant girl, believed. 
she believe? Elizabeth celebrates Mary's willingness to say yes. And I think that this morning, this is an invitation for us to consider our own openness to the way that God chooses to act in the world. I've been guilty in the past. I don't know about you. Like, oh, no, 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 God doesn't work that way. God works this way. God works through these people in this church. I've done this. So it invites us to consider how open we are to the ways that God does want to work in the world. So a couple of questions. What might God be doing? Not yet, not this. Go back. Sorry. Not ready for that one. So a couple of questions. What might God be doing through unexpected people today? No, go back. We're not doing <laughs> Okay, thank you. What might God be doing through unexpected people today? Where is God at work through people whom our neighbors and our fellow church members even often exclude and categorize as shameful? Will we listen to the Spirit's prompting when the, when the bearers of God's new reality show up on our doorstep? Will we listen to the Spirit's prompting when the bearers of God's new reality show up on our doorstep, as Elizabeth did. So then just two, two more. One, first one here is, what might God be inviting you to say a deeper yes to in your life? And what might God be inviting us to say a deeper yes to 